Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today I'm joined by Dr. Habib Sadiqi, founder of the Beehive of Healing Interactive Medical Center. He specializes in a multidisciplinary approach to chronic illness such as cancer and autoimmune disease with comprehensive treatment protocols that incorporate a wide range of interventions. Please enjoy our conversation. Thank you for talking to me. It's my privilege. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I'm trying. I have um, so many ideas swirling around about the state of of food and certain objectives and certain a lack of objectives. But I do see people. I know many of my wife's friends see you. I think my wife has been here, her sister, and they all seem to have, they come away with a lot, but part of it is an objective with food. I certainly don't see that in the broad spectrum of America. So I just really am interested in your thoughts on that. You know, a good place to start would be how did you come into doing this? You know, it's, um, I, I, uh, my background, I'm a, I'm a family practitioner. And as I shared with you when we were setting up, um, I'm a metic microbiologist. And uh, that's what I did uh, for a length of time before even going to medical school. Um, part of, I guess, if, if you would, the side effect of the modern world is that we have abundance. Right. And um, when you look at life, life, there is a seasonality to life. Right. You can't have oranges all the time. Right. Even if they're good for you. And but now you can walk into your Whole Foods or Erwan or Trader Joe's or your favorite um, health food store. And pretty much you can have the same food, the same salad every day. Right. And that's a problem. Because the body doesn't really have um, the ability or the time to be able to clean out, right? It, it would be the same thing as the memory stick that that you're using to record this conversation. There comes a time that it fills up and you got to clean it out in order to be able to receive more data. So that's really the protocol. And when we're looking at a human body and when continuously we were bombarded and, you know, we were told that you wake up, you, you know, you got to eat three times a day and this is what you got to eat. So there was a narrative that all of us, um, you know, that grew up with, right? And, you know, preservatives, sugar, gluten, a lot of this stuff was part of the narrative and we never really questioned it. Right. And now people come in and they come in with an autoimmune disease, such as it could be as subtle as, um, you know, thyroiditis, autoimmune thyroiditis or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, where basically the body starts 
producing antibody against itself, right? Or it could be connective tissue disease, such, such as scleroderma, where you start um, producing antibody against your skin, your, uh, your joints, and so forth, or rheumatoid arthritis, right? Uh, arthro, you know, lining of the joints, itis, anything with an itis means inflammation. So this is where you get inflamed. You could go for a hike, you could go for a bike, you could walk up the stairs and just everything flares up, right? You could go to bed and the next morning you wake up and you can't close your hands, right? So when you look at that and when you look at uh, the idea of what actually has occurred for us as food, what we considered food, right? The, you know, we expect food to be unadulterated, right? But when you're looking at the level of adulteration that has occurred in the food, right? You and I, we can go to Guatemala and we can see these incredible tomatoes and we're like, wow, if we can just, you know, get that to California, take it to farmer's market, my God, we're going to, we're going to make a lot of people happy and we're going to make a killing just selling those tomatoes. But the problem is that in order to be able to get those tomatoes to California uh, from Guatemala and we have to truck it and it's going to take probably a couple of weeks and by the time it gets here, it'll be bruised. No one wants a bruised tomato. So we'll go to a company and we say, gosh, is there a way that you can make the skin of these tomatoes really thick um, so that they don't bruise easily? They say, oh, yeah, no problem. We're going to get the genetic material from salmon. We're going to mix it with the genetic material of this tomato, and we're going to come up with a genetically modified organism or genetically modified tomato. My goodness, now these tomatoes, they're juicy, they're great, their skin is very thick, and you can, you know, you can bust it, truck it for four weeks, and it's not going to get bruised. The problem is it's adulterated because the original tomato, it might get bruised easily, but it's been around for eons, and the genetic makeup has been introduced to us, right? So my body, when I consume that tomato, it, it understands it. It receives it as something that, um, that it's familiar to me. It's sort of like me right now, as I'm phonating, as I'm speaking to you, um, you, can, you can make sense of it. You know, the phonation goes inside, moves the tympanic membrane. You know, you, you turn it into eventually an electrical stimuli. Parts of the brain gives it a meaning. And then you create meaning out of this communication. If I shift and if all of a sudden I start speaking Farsi to you, it wouldn't make much sense to you. And if I keep talking to you that way, it could irritate you. It could even make you feel angry right? And that's what happens when we start adulterating the food. Now, on top of that, you look at some of the common foods such as bread, right? You get three amino acids and you feel like, well, gosh, if I stick these three amino acids in wheat, I'll get a lot more out of it. Yes, you can. But these three amino acids, they also change the language that the wheat speaks. That language, that linguistic abstraction, that physiological response, the body sees it as, as foreign and then the body doesn't understand it and then it'll start producing antibiotics 
antibody against it. That's why we see a significant surge in food allergies and various different things. And when you have all these antibodies, what, what are antibodies? Antibodies are pieces of protein that my body has to produce. So it's very, if you would, it's an intensive process and it requires significant amount of energy, right? So as I invest and I create these antibodies, now I have less resources, less energy available for healing, for rejuvenation, for, you know, updating my growth hormone, for the environmental various toxicities and so forth that might be out there that I have to activate phase one, phase two of my liver, you know, to be able to keep clearing my body. Remember the memory stick? You got to keep cleaning it out to be able to have more data and have more space. And one of the things that's occurring as human beings, we're running out of space. We're running out of space because the foods that we're eating, it just requires so much more energy for us to be able to process it, to break it down. You know, when you speak to people, most people, they're unaware. You sit there and I'm, I'm in the process of writing, a, writing another book, and I have this, this thing that I do that for as, as long as I'm writing, I don't shave, right? I grow my beard. So when you think about it and you're like, well, what, where's this beard or the hair on top of my head? Where is it coming from? I mean, it doesn't just appear. It comes from something. So when you tell people that, listen, the food that you eat, let's say you pick a piece of, let's say, protein, this piece of protein you chew it, you break it down, you swallow it, it goes down in the acidity of the stomach, you have enough hydrochloric acid and various different digestive enzymes, eventually you break it down into smaller pieces called polypeptide. You keep breaking it down into a tripeptide, a dipeptide, eventually you get it to a single amino acid. Once it's a single amino acid, it's small enough that it leaves the lining, it goes inside the interstitial fluid, and then there is a protein that picks it up, right? It's like a locomotive that you put things in it. It picks up, these proteins pick up the amino acid and it moves it around. And it's going to take it on top of my head. This single amino acid sits there, waits for another amino acid. Now they form a bond. And then a third one, and then a fourth one. Eventually I have a polypeptide, and eventually I turn it into the hair on top of my head. Isn't that unbelievable? I, the human body is miraculous. I mean, you take something that is absolutely foreign from outside, right? Like a piece of protein. Whatever your cho- you know, the choice of your, your uh, protein is, you know, quinoa, broccoli, whatever it is, a piece of steak. And then it becomes hair. It becomes facial hair. It becomes hormones. It becomes, you know, various different vitamins, right? It's, it's, it really behooves me when you look at, you know, when you speak to people and they're unaware that the, the food that they consume, it's a way that their environment is communicating to them. So if they start eating food that they're not used to, that it, it's been adulterated, that it shifts and changes, well, the language that that food speaks inside the body, it creates chaos. And we see it in the body as autoimmunity, as connective tissue disease, as fatigue, as ADD, ADHD, you know, and we know that. We know. Literally, we've hooked little kids up to functional MRI, 
functional MRI, fMRI, it's exactly what's used when we want to look at the effectiveness of an advertisement. We play the advertisement, all these, you know, all these participants are hooked up to the functional MRI. If the advertisement of what they're watching on TV is effective, the parts of the brain that lights up, we see it. And that's, that is the science. Well, we got this science and guess what? They hook people up, these little kids, they hooked them up to functional MRI and they give them genetically modified organism. They give them food that they're genetically modified. The parts of the brain that lit up, it's the parts of the brain that would basically allow us to diagnose them with attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity, and so forth. Now, the traditional medical model says, well, gosh, if you got that, well, well, well you know, we've got to put you on medication, right? And we're going to put them on whether adrenaline or, or concerta or, you know, a variety of it. But these are all speed, these are the variations of speed. And when you put a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, a nine-year-old on speed at that age, it has downstream effect. And, you know, by the time that they're 13, 14, 15, they're going to have more symptoms of depressions or, or a variety of other things. So this methodology is great. I mean, you know, if, if you're a follower of Milton Freeman or capitalism or trickle-down economy, that's fantastic. Because when you look at the whole industry of sickness, my gosh, it's incredible. And it just creates more and more marketplaces. Oh, absolutely. One of the things it's it's one of the things that's fascinating is a particular study as I roll around to see if I can actually pull out the graph to show you. And it was um, it's a study out of uh, it was published in 2002, 2002 in New England Journal of Medicine. And what I love about this graph that was published, uh, it's 2002, uh, and it's a uh, journal of New England uh, Journal of Medicine. And the, the title is Inverse Relationship Between the Incidence of Prototypical Infectious Disease, Panel A, and the Incidence of Immune Disorders, Panel B, from 1950 to 2000. So what does that mean? So we got 1950 to 2000. This is the time axis. And on here, these are the incidence of infectious diseases percentage-wise, such as rheumatic fever, type, uh, hepatitis A, measles, mumps, tuberculosis. We can see that this slope is, is sharply declining. This tells us that as we went from 1950 to 2000, the rate of these infections dropped. Many things, including, you know, vaccination, or various different, maybe even to some extent, over-treatment. Right next to it, the same timeline, 1950 to 2000, the same timeline, and we're seeing now incidence of immune disorders, percentage-wise. And we can see things such as multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is basically a piece of wire that has a plastic around it, and it, you know, and it really protects the electrical conductivity inside the wire. Multiple sclerosis is when that piece of plastic, you have patches that it's been ripped off. So the electrical activity inside our nerves, it slows down. 
That's what multiple sclerosis is. It affects our vision. It affects our bladder. It affects throughout the body. Crohn's disease. That's, that's massive. Massive. I mean, you look around, you look at type 1 diabetes, right, which is an autoimmune disorder, mostly in adolescent, okay, kids. You look at asthma. Now, you look around and you look at the people that you love, either in your family or in the concentric circles around you, and how many of them do they have these uh, you know, autoimmune disorders? I, I have a daughter with type 1 diabetes and uh, another family member with rheumatoid arthritis. And- rheumatoid arthritis, and these are the things that it's right in here. Now we can see that these autoimmune diseases, the graph, it's astronomical. It's a positive graph. I mean, it's almost... A mirror exact replica of the other graph, which is in decline. Which simply, it, it basically tells us that as we decrease, as we attack all these childhood diseases, and if we don't allow the children to have certain diseases that they're supposed to get, right? It's sort of like, I was 15 minutes late. Based on our agreement, if you were irritated, you could come up to me. You say, hey, Dr. S., I'm really irritated. You're 15 minutes late. And I say, gosh, Ethan, I completely take responsibility. I'm sorry. What can I do, okay, to really make it up to you so we could move forward? We have a good fight. You you yell at me, and we move on, right? Yeah. That's what that's what one of these childhood diseases is. You allow the body to work itself out. To you allow the body to sit with a level of tension that builds up the relationship inside the body that we refer to it as immune system. When you take that out of the system, when you don't allow the body, the the system to develop, later on in life, they get exposed to something and it goes chaos and it creates an autoimmune disease such as Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes, and asthma. Now, if you're in a business of selling me medication for asthma, type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, and Crohn's disease, my God, this is the perfect setup. Well, I mean, that's a great point. We have fantastic insurance and we make above average whatever the mean in America is. I make more money than that. And even still, the cost for my daughter's type 1 diabetes is like astonishing. Like I am shocked every month at the bills with our incredible insurance. I don't really know how somebody pays for that. If they don't have great insurance and they're not making a ton of money, I mean, it's thousands of dollars a month. Absolutely. And when you're looking at that, when you look at uh, it's not only the medication, it's also the quality of care. It's also the quality of food. It's also the, the, you know, the ancillary support system that she needs to be engaged in such as physical activity. It's also really having a mom and dad that they're grounded and contained and they can contain um, the child, right? Your daughter, you know, and, and to make sure that she understands that, you know, that she's really whole and complete. She's just one organ is not producing a level of particular hormone, but she's going to develop and she's going to be completely normal. 
most average people, most patients, they don't have access to all that. So they make poor choices, right? And especially during this time where so many people are really are suffering because they've lost their jobs. Some of their jobs, they might not even come back, right? And so they're struggling. So this financial challenge that they're going through, so they may not make choices. They may not be able to go to Whole Food and come out and just for a day or two of grocery might cost three to five hundred dollars they can't really afford that so they go in and they're consuming you know high quality of food that they're genetically modified and they're unaware of right you look at the the amount of corn that is cultivated in the united states up to 90 95 percent of the corn genetically modified and it's subsidized right you look at the amount of soy we know that at one point world health organization used soy as a birth control Right. Because it it shifts and it changes the level of estrogen. We know that it has certain level of qualities that would shift and change the hormonal system. We know that places such as Israel and such as France, they they have completely outlawed uh, usage of soy in the infant formulas because they don't want to allow the infants to set up to have hormonal shifts and changes. Right now, we know and we check when their patients and or you know are the feminine um, in nature that they go through and if they have um, you know and if they have a particular malignancy such as breast cancer, we check them to see if they have various different genes that allows them to be susceptible to higher level of estrogen and so forth. And what am I, what am I bringing forward? Well, we've talked about this journey. We talked about this journey of why would a family doctor really pay attention to the quality of food or what people are consuming or you know and forget the thoughts that we're having forget what what tv station we're listening to or what narrative that you know we're buying into that could create a level of anxiety and tension and depression that could really intertwine with poor choices that we're making and we've talked about various different examples we've looked at examples such as publications in one of the most scientific journals, really based on the traditional medical model of New England Journal of Medicine. And we looked at, look, their choices that we're making, the upstream choices of perhaps maybe to some extent, maybe over-vaccinating or over-treating our children, that the downstream effect is that it might be contributing to the rate of autoimmune diseases that for a lifetime, I mean, you know, when you have Crohn's disease, right? When a person has Crohn's disease, they end up, if they're not on some type of immunomodulator or immune therapy um, that they have to go in and get these IV, they could end up losing their colon. They could end up living a life, okay? And so when you have multiple sclerosis, if you got multiple sclerosis and it, it really affects your quality of your life, there are people as young as 12, 13-year-olds that they're getting multiple sclerotic symptoms and they're being, and this was a disease that, you know, that you you would see maybe in the third decade, fourth decade of life, right, that a typical person would be 
they you know they start having some visual changes they can't really figure it out what's occurring they get on their treadmill and their body temperature increases and then they'll have paralysis or they urinate in themselves they they lose the control of their bladder that's that's not what we're seeing we're seeing younger and younger kids there was a time that we hardly could see right now you look around and you see so many people with airway reactive disease asthma type 1 diabetes and it's all related so it behooves us it really behooves us that when a person comes in and you're evaluating them to really as you know as extensively as Perhaps I look at the blood work and I interpret it, you know, and usually people come in either they're, you know, they want to focus on prevention or they're coming in with an issue and they want a solution, a solution that perhaps is out of the box, a solution that is, you know, not to be committed to a lifetime of medications and over medications and polypharmacy, which is the usage of multiple medication that that by itself creates more side effects. Do do you think there do you think there's a trade-off of I mean America is a very wealthy country and if you look at impoverished countries the instances of of autoimmune disease is very low or non-existent and do you think this is just the ebb and flow of wealth how we have unintended consequences that occur that we then have to mitigate and obviously with a marketplace we're mitigating it in a capitalistic way rather than trying to stop uh, autoimmune but rather just treat it and have this endless hamster wheel but is it a fair trade-off or is there I guess I'm saying for 350 million people is there space is there is it possible to feed everybody? Because like you said, Whole Foods, it's really expensive. And then even at Whole Foods, half the stuff isn't organic and you got to like really search for it. So is it, do you see a path where we actually conquer this or is it just people uh, getting knowledge and, and, and kind of fighting it out individually? Yeah. Um, so there, this is a brilliant question, but it's one of those questions that's very nested because there's a question within the question within the question. The first question is, um, gosh, are, are we looking at some unintended side effects in terms of the wealth and the abundance that we have? And I think the answer is yes. I'll give you an example. When you're looking at the quality of water, that uh, the groundwater that's available, if you go from Florida all the way up, okay, to Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont, the quality of water changes. And here's why. In Florida, a lot of people come to Florida, perhaps even elderly, and they're usually the average medication, in my experience when I trained in Florida, the average medication that each person was on was anywhere between 13 to 19 medications. Now, one thing you need to realize is when you go to the restroom and you flush, it doesn't just evaporate. You know, the municipal sewage line, it goes in and the sewage needs to be uh, treated. And to some extent, some of it ends up back into the ocean. We treat it, we remove as much as we can. But you either acidify or you alkalinize the sewage in order to be able to pull out as much of the toxins and you process it. A lot of it gets dumped into, into the ocean and eventually a lot of it gets dumped and into the drinking water. If you live in 
Florida, given that the amount of ice that separates the topsoil from the drinking water, it's less because it's Florida, it's hot. So a lot of these chemicals are leaching into the groundwater. And, you know, when you're taking shower or various different things, you're consuming it, right? When you look at Gulf of Mexico, the amount of sewage that's being dumped into Gulf of Mexico, it, it's affecting, you know, the aquatic life. You look at amphibians, such as frogs, that they have a completely permeable skin. So anything in their surroundings, it gets in. They don't have a choice. So when you dumped all these sewage, gallons and thousands of gallons into the, into the Gulf of Mexico, we can see that, uh, you know, that the amphibians that they were born with, um, you know, masculine gender, they're becoming feminized. They cha- their, their sex is changing, you know, because of the amount of sewage that's being dumped in and all these hormones, all these chemicals, all that that's being dumped through the sewage into Gulf of Mexico. That's that un- un- unintended, you know, unintended consequence of abundance. You look at food sensitivity, right? Um, if, if you go in and if you eat uh, too much of a good thing daily, you're going to have food sensitivity. It's sort of like... Me anticipating our uh, meeting, and I were to call you every day for past week, it would irritate you. You're like, hey, doctors, I got it. I'll see you, you know, on, on Tuesday. So when you keep eating the same thing and you don't allow the body to recover, the body, in an attempt of, you know, cleansing itself, it starts producing antibody against it. And we've already discussed that the production of antibody to create food sensitivity, you got to create protein and listen i mean your biceps got to be 22 23 inches i mean you if anyone knows about protein buildup it's you it's i know it's like it's not easy right to to be able to to build that it's a very time intensive process right so in order to do that so if by the body producing antibodies against anything it in, invests a significant amount of physiological currency to do that and we pay a price we pay a price by aging Right. That's why in fasting and fasting in general, eating less, less caloric intake, we know that, you know, it was all the research was down down the street at UCLA. We know that when you decrease the the caloric intake of of rats by and mouse by 33 percent, you increase the longevity by 33 percent. We know that, right? So, gosh, how many of us, they, we overeat, right? Because of, you know, because of emotional eating or because we do have access to the quality of food that we have and we have a tendency to overeat. Then obesity becomes an issue. Obesity becomes an issue and that by itself, then all of a sudden the adipose tissue in the body, it acts as a factory. It's not just sitting there. You know, adipose tissue, fat tissue, it acts as a factory and it starts producing um, a higher level of estrogen in the body. In men, it, you know, in the later on in age, in third, fourth decade and on beyond, it could create 
create high level of estrogen could create uh, you know acute or chronic prostatitis inflammation of the prostate it could lead into benign prosthetic hypertrophy prostate cancer in women it could contribute high level of estrogen could contribute to you know breast cancer cervical cancer uterine cancer various different cancers right we know that and that's why we check them for the various different receptors to see if they're BRCA positive BRCA negative if they have the genetic makeup or not so that by itself is an unintended consequence of abundance right and then there is the third component that sometimes you know if you're you know if you want to look at it from the capitalistic point of view then somehow um, we've lost that sense of collaboration and consciousness and the responsibility that we have the downstream effect right so if you want to just you know if you want to come out with a product and if the product you know whatever it takes by any means necessary you get the products done but then you know what 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 is the effect that it has on the environment you know that that affects us a good example would be the usage of dental amalgam right mercury in teeth in the whole you know industry right dentistry until recently and maybe even depending on the states um maybe even now there is a gag order that dentists cannot recommend the active removal and replacement of dental amalgams right and mercury is one of the most toxic chemical on the planet we know that it's a neurotoxic, right? So you look at the rate of Parkinson's disease, ALS, multiple sclerosis, you know, and various different things, depressions and ADD and ADHD and insomnia. So there's, there's a law saying dentists can't say you should have this removed for these reasons? They cannot. It's a gag order that dentists, uh, depending on the states, they cannot recommend the active removal of dental amalgam. There are dentists right now that if you call them up or if you go see them and if you tell them what are your thoughts for dental amalgam, they say, well, what's wrong with it? We've used it for years. There's no problem. You know, and we know that their teeth, that they that they leak mercury. And if something is known to be, a, you know, to have a level of toxicity, you, you you wouldn't want it around you at all not in your mouth where you have an environment that you're con continuously are grinding and chewing and the chances of it literally leaking and affecting your body digestive system your nervous system it goes up you know Th these are i mean un talk about unintended you know consequences you look at you know you look at the the percentage of sperm production it, there is a sharp decline okay in in the western world in the amount of sperm that men have access to and a lot of it has to do with the environmental factor what we're exposed to the you know the wi-fi and various different things that it affects us i i, I would i would try to take and just make it easy for everyone the capitalists want to make money fine the collectivists want to have a better life for everyone fine both are fine i want to take the morality out of it and just go there's got to be some honesty yeah. right like at the bare minimum for me i was 550 pounds i lost a lot of weight i i never i wasn't walking around eating thinking 
I can lose weight. It just wasn't a thought that was occurring to me. Of course, if you asked, I knew that if I ate less, I would lose weight. Of course, I knew that. But I I do think there's probably some portion of the country that is also not being told enough of the truth to have this understanding, especially when you look at the the rise in obesity predominantly affecting lower income and their access to food being what it is. It's hard to say for me, I just don't know what the solution is to say like, well, you should just eat less. Fine. That's the easiest thing. We all know there's plenty of studies to support. You get healthier if you eat less. You certainly lose weight if you eat less. Fine. But beyond that, the choice between you know, GMO stuff and non, I I just don't think that, like you say, there's a gag order on mercury in the teeth, which seems insane to me, knowing what mercury does. How do we solve this? And and not even necessarily that we can, but what's the, what do we, what's the next step? Because as you say, if we want to have this idea that is for everyone, I think that it starts with education? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It starts with people like yourself, Ethan. It starts with you sharing your story. It starts with you really completely share, as you share your story, people, your listeners, will be touched, moved, and inspired to come out of this sense of trance right uh, and to be able to reflect uh, you know you'll, you'll be shocked and surprised how many of us uh, just like when we drive like right? you drive from home to work every day or when we did and um, you know and you wouldn't even think what path you would take right it becomes a- almost automatic right so if we were to come out of that um, automaticity and to be able to be reflective we know human beings specifically mammals they produce hormones such as oxytocin the happy hormone or relaxin that makes us relax when we chew so a lot of us you know we may have had a rough day and uh, you know we sit down and we want to be able to actually chew our day if you would we want to be able to kind of talk about what the day was like and as we're talking about it and we're chewing what we're doing is we really are processing our day that was really the intention of having dinner that you sit around and you ask you know you ask we ask our family members our children our beloveds our significant we ask, well, how was your day? And as they're t- communicating, as we're communicating, um, we get to chew our day. And, you know, and as we're chewing our food and then you go to sleep and then when we go to sleep, specifically going into deeper level of sleep that's referred to as rapid eye movement part of the sleep and the amount of pro- and the amount of growth hormone and various different hormones that gets to produce that level we get to clear clean up remember the memory stick that it needs to be cleaned out okay so you can receive more data that was the purpose of dinner that was the purpose of going into a deeper level of sleep that was the purpose of updating our hormonal system our neurotransmitters so that we would be ready for tomorrow and tomorrow now unfortunately we've lost that 
now we have a tendency, we sit down, we want to have dinner, we're eating, you know, chickens that they're completely, you know, right now you look at, you know, a, a chicken and, and just the amount of hormone that's used to basically get the chicken to the market faster, meatier, and they can make more money. Right now, well, gosh, if you give, we know that if you give anything steroids, yes, they get big, but you, you know, you pay a price and the price is that you sabotage their immune system. So they get sick. And when they get sick, we put them on antibiotics. There was um, that one of the most traditional journals is the journals of chest, C-H-E-S-T, which is the, um, the journal for the American Pulmonology uh, Associations. And um, this goes back to early 90s, 93 maybe. And they published a study that, is it true that chicken soup is good for you? So they looked at chicken soup from... Uh, UK, from Spain, from China, and from United States. And it was fascinating. The most therapeutic chicken soup was chicken soup from Spain. And the least therapeutic chicken soup was chicken soup from China. So they went in, and when I say therapeutic, the way that they would do it is they would make chicken soup, they would get the broth, and you would get a, a petri dish with agar, which is the medium in it that the bacteria grows on, and then you, you culture the bacteria, the bacteria grows, and then you get a little bit of the, the chicken soup and you put it on the agar and you see if it would kill the bacteria and then the zone of clearing like how much bacteria would it clear so the chicken soup that was that would kill the bacteria and had the largest clear zone it killed the most bacteria and you knew that that chicken soup was the most therapeutic and the strongest so they wanted to investigate but why is it that spain has the most therapeutic chicken soup and what they found was that at the time of this study Spain, they were actually feeding their chickens um, a third generation uh, antibiotics, right? Uh, so that uh, as you were, you know, as you were t eating your chicken soup, you were also taking ciprofloxacin, cipro, which is one of the most powerful and strongest antibiotics. And that's why the chicken soup was therapeutic. And in China, they didn't have the resources, so the chickens weren't getting ciprofloxacin, and it wouldn't pass on in into their broth, into the chicken soup. What was fascinating, and this is the, talking about the unintended consequences, and this is when, you know, it, it initially it seems like a good idea and you rush to do it and without thinking what's the downstream effect, right? What comes beyond that? And they found out that in Spain, they also at the time had the highest uh, rate of what was referred to as... MRSA or methicillin resistant staph aureus superbugs really which makes sense flesh eating by so now it makes sense if you overdo it on antibiotics application the bacteria after a while they get resistant to the to the antibiotics and that's a talk about unintended consequences that is lethal because if you go down the street at cedars if you go to ucla if you go to usc if you go to any major academic hospital setting you go to their NICU neonatal intensive care unit you'll see little babies that they're there with something as simple as uh, ear infections that you know at some point we could 
give them just amoxicillin or just the basic penicillin antibiotics. But these, you know, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is one of the most common microorganisms, bacteria that could create otitis media or ear infection. There was a time you give just a dose of antibiotics, you would wipe it out. Right now, we have Pseudomonas aeruginosa that they're superbugs. They're resistant to antibiotics that can kill little babies. And that's what's occurring. Talk about unintended consequences. And this is just because these substances are now so prevalent in the groundwater and yeah. in, in the livestock that yeah. we eat and the vegetables. Yeah. And, 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 you know, little Johnny's mom uh, or dad will take little Johnny in. It says little Johnny is pulling on his ear. And the, the pediatrician looks inside little Johnny's ears and says, well, gosh, it, it, it's a little red. It could be most likely viral. But, you know, the mom, that, that she might not be satisfied or the dad with that decision so that they're persistent. And we drove and we're here and we're paying for it. So we gotta you know, the pediatrician, Z-pack. we got we to gotta walk away with the Z-Pack. We got to walk away with the, you know, Cipro. We got to walk away with an antibiotics. And this is an overprescription problem problem without really looking at and considering and thinking about the downstream effect of creating superbug such as super, you know such as pseudomonas aeruginosa that right now it's completely resistant to every single known antibiotics that we have we're running out of antibiotics i yeah i have friends who no matter where they go if they go somewhere for a weekend they always have a z-pack in their toiletries and I, I never had a good argument i always thought this is crazy what you're just going to wake up and take a z-pack without getting tested you have a headache or something you take a z-pack it seemed crazy to me but this is a great argument that i can make now to say like you really shouldn't take that yes absolutely and that's an amazing point that you're bringing forward you see which is really related to you know doctors dr sadegi this is great points that you're bringing forward but what's the what's the solution you know i'm how how could we touch move and inspire our listener to listeners to be able to be part of that conversation which is solution oriented so it really brings us back that the person that has you know the person that has think of it this way a person that has a gun uh, with them and carries a gun with them all the time and i'm here to tell you that that person unless this is what they do for a living or you know there's a peace officer police officer part of security to carry a loaded gun with you everywhere you go that means that you have certain level of anxiety and fear and 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 that you haven't really worked out right and you'll be you'll be very glock happy to pull out your gun and so forth so we've treated antibiotics the same way instead of really dealing with our own deep sense of anxiety and perhaps a lack of trust to life we've replaced it with a z-pack in our in our toiletry so when we go somewhere when we go camping we're going to go to a different country and so forth or even here traveling inside united states uh, we only feel safe if we take our blankie with us if we take our what we're comfortable with and in this case, in the modern world, it's the Z-Pack. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's 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 sort of, and it's really the same concept 
um, as carrying a gun because I want to feel safe or getting a larger car because I don't feel safe in a smaller car, you, you know, and it's like, it, wait, hold on. Let's really learn to think through some of the decisions. So one aspect would be definitely, I agree with you. I think it's brilliant. Education is very important. It's really to, you know, to bring forward the, the aspect of emotional eating, the aspect of intermittent fasting, the aspect of, you know, eat less, but quality of food that you eat matters, you know, to start having communications in terms of the importance of the quality of food, you know, and, and maybe even um, cultivating a, a variety of uh, farmer's market or different things that we could eat, um, you know, teaching at a very young age, maybe even um, as early as high school, like teaching our children, our future, how to cook, how to eat, you know, that when you're looking at that, you know, in nature, nothing is purple. <laughs> so if you're seeing an M&M, it's purple. That's that's the coloring, you know. I mean, that's a great point, too, because I, I, I remember seeing a food pyramid in school, but I never remember having somebody tell me what protein did or what carbohydrates did or what the purpose of fat was and how necessary it is. And and there was a big, um, I, I eat low fat now, but I still get some fat. But I remember there being a big low fat push when I was a kid. That was kind of the beginning of that, I think. And so it was just fat is bad. We're going to increase the sugar by a lot and decrease the and salt and decrease the fat. And everybody gained weight. And so I think this is a great point because I didn't know what any of that stuff did until I was an adult and I actually had to go read about it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's why they say knowledge is power. That's why you're being touched and you drove and you're here at Beehive of Healing and you're investing your life to be able to hold this conversation, to capture it and, you know, and to pay it forward to your listeners so that as they listen, you know, they can start doing their own investigation and they can start being more reflective so that the future that awaits us is it has a different flavor. That's what this conversation is. You know, the fact, the suffering that you went through to be able to release the weight that you are carrying, right? Because you realize that, wait, that this, this doesn't make sense for me to carry this backpack. And, you know, later on as I age, I'm going to have hip problem and knee problem. And the traditional medical model and the current cultural narrative is, I don't worry about it. You get your hip replaced. You get your knee replaced. But these are not healthy, because all of these, they require a certain level of, they got to put you under, which means the amount of anesthetics and various things that you get, it's going to just clogged up the liver. Liver is the recycler of the body. You know, when you look at traditional medical models such as... Ayurvedic medicine, the medicine of India, traditional oriental medicine, the medicine that's practiced in Korea, Japan, in China, when the systematic model of medicine, everything is related and liver plays an important role. And the detoxification that occurs in the liver, liver is sort of like um, the recycler, 
you know, and it has two phases, phase one, phase two, that it helps us to clean out. And so everything goes through the liver, the food that we eat, the hormones that we produce, the medications that we, you know, and what it does, because most of these um, things that we consume, they're not water soluble. So one of the, amongst many functions of the liver is to produce a detergent. Like you want to go wash your hands, you use soap. And, and if your hands is oily, the soap makes it water soluble. So the oil comes off. Bile, B-I-L-E, is, is that chemical that's produced in the liver and it's stored in the gallbladder that makes something conjugated. It makes it, if it's water insoluble, it makes it water soluble so that we could urinate it, we could defecate it out of the body. So in order to be able to do that, but you know, when you go through hip replacement, knee replacement, when you have multiple cosmetic surgery, elective surgery, it, it, it just clogs up your liver to the point that it pushes you, you age faster. It just doesn't make sense that, you know, you, you look at kids and because the narrative is that you got to look certain way in order to get the level of attention from the opposite sex or uh, or so forth now they go in and they you know overeat and they overwork and by the time that they're in their late 20s or early 30s they're coming in and they have degenerative joint disease in their shoulders in their knees and they kind of need all these surgeries by the times that they're in their mid to late 40s their bodies are really just starting to break down and that's when you start seeing all these incidents of autoimmune diseases occurring yeah and and to your point about saying don't worry about it there is um especially with um when you're talking about weight right now a huge movement saying we're not allowed to say anything about weight I have no problem with somebody being overweight if they're very happy and they don't want to change it. I don't care. But I've found in talking to people, it's more truthful or more usual that somebody who is overweight wants to lose weight and has had failures and and has either given up or is you know, white knuckling their way to starting again and doesn't have confidence in it and doesn't have a a real viable solution. And so, but even still, it's you're not allowed to talk about it in a way of like, everybody should lose some weight. Like I think everyone in America could probably lose a little bit of weight and it wouldn't hurt them. Um, but it is a difficult thing right now to discuss. Um, and we have to make it okay, you know, to discuss it. And and not to say everybody has to or they don't have to. Hell, if you like having asthma, have asthma. I don't care, you know. But I think most people probably don't like having asthma. Yeah, it's I, yeah. I, I appreciate the conversation and the intention behind the conversation, which is when we look at across our culture currently, there's a certain level of hypersensitivities. Not only there is an increase in food sensitivities, things that we're sensitive to, right? Uh, But there is also a level of cultural sensitivity that it's occurring. And, And what's attached to that is 
a level of mind shaming, right? And so that creates fragmentation, that creates a fracture within society. What you want is, and perhaps the healthy society, what it would look like, or the ideal scene of a healthy society is that of a society that there is a dialogue, that instead of saying, you can't say that, you can't do this, that there is a dialogue where people get to speak what's occurring for them and you know and the there is a quality of cultural listening see culture also has listening if you know if we can create the, the level of cultural listening so that people are able to speak from a place of freedom then there is a dialogue there is a, a dialectical uh, culture and a dialectical di di to lect tongue, a culture that is tolerant of being able not only have having tolerance for the opposite point of view, but they have reverence for the opposite point of view. And then the side effect of that culture is growth, is learning, is healing, right? A culture that does, that has minimal level of tolerance and absolutely no reverence is a culture that you'll see an increased rate of autoimmunity. You see an increased rate of thyroid issues where people, you know, thyroid is where the throat is there they start having issues with um, not being able to speaking their truth right and when you get a culture that you push them you corner them well now all of the things that they want to say that they can't they don't feel safe of saying they either say it in in social media and you create a culture that is virtual that is not real right? Or you turn it into malignancies, malignancies such as racism, malignancies such as holding judgment against yourself and and other people that they don't look like you do, right? And these are all side effects of having a culture that, that doesn't have a cultural listening that could cultivate, that could grow literally healing and health because it's tied into consciousness yeah i think that is so beautiful and and kind of the the fundamental that i'm looking for you know Mm -hmm. that's just it the the consciousness absolutely and that was it was the consciousness and that's what you very eloquently said that hey dr s there was a time that i was 500 pounds and it just, I just didn't know any better, but you know. I, it's, it's a very tricky headspace to put myself back into because it's been a while since I was that big. And I think at the time, if you had had me sit down and do a test on how a person loses weight, I could have done it and explained that if, I, if a person eats less than they expel an energy, they're gonna, the, that balance, they can lose weight. I think I knew that, but I... I didn't understand any of the nuance. I didn't have it as a goal every day that I was waking up to. I certainly had had some failures along the way. But but really, if I'm being completely honest, there was other stuff that I was dealing with that I had to confront before I was even able to confront that. And, and I... 
I don't think it would have worked otherwise. It doesn't work. Um, that one of the pillars that, that I work with based on the form of medicine that I practice, which we refer to it as intelechy medicine. And intelechy is the movement of the acorn becoming an oak tree. See, the acorn gets planted and goes through the dark night of the soul and then it breaks open and it becomes an oak tree, right? Every human being, we're born here and we go through certain dark nights of the soul and challenges in order to break open and eventually become the oak tree that we're here to be, right? Which is the evolution of our consciousness. So based on that medical model consciousness precedes phenotypic expression meaning consciousness what we hold the collection of our thoughts feelings emotions and everything else that consciousness precedes comes before the 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 weight that we put on the pain that we have if you don't handle at the level of consciousness if you don't have a good spiritual practice and by spiritual practice it has nothing to do with religion sometimes religion can and should be this spiritual practice but it doesn't necessarily have to be right and if if a person does not have a specific spiritual practice then they struggle then they won't be able to really work with the misunderstandings that we all pick up along the way, along the journey of going from an oak tree, from an acorn becoming an oak tree, the misinterpretations, I'm bad, I'm not good enough, you know, I can't do that, I'm not smart enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not thick enough, I'm not tall enough. These are the misinterpretations and misuses of energy that we pick up. And we sometimes forget that this realm, that this school that we call life, it's really here for us to come in and to fuck up and to make mistakes and to actually, you know, understand it and to go through compassionate self-forgiveness and to learn from it and to be able to move forward. You know, I'll never forget, I was speaking to my 13 or 13-year-old 13 and, uh, you know, and recently we've started making compost for our farm and we had to get some dairy, uh, dairy cow manure, right? And we got to pay for it. And I said, you see, someone else's feces shit you know cow shit we pay for it because it becomes compost it becomes you know helpful and we need to really understand that we need to really understand that instead of shoving our failures our manures deep inside and hide them that could contribute to a, a culture of sickness that we accept it we bring it outside and we get to cultivate it and turn it into compost and really to create the future fertile ground for all of us i think that might be my favorite analogy i've ever heard of turning our you know cow shit into something really valuable that's why we're here i truly believe that and when you look at every single religion and most religious practices they really have that you know for me understanding this essence of compassionate self-forgiveness it's it's in the center of it and uh, you know as as we grow up the 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 educational model is such that it doesn't really develop our um, emotional IQ. It, it really cultivates and it, it moves uh, towards the cultivation, the growing of the intellectual IQ. You know, but, you know, intellectual IQ, you know, the, I mean, I went to medical school and I remember at the time my medical, the medical school model was every week you had to, f you know, you have to memorize a phone book. 
after you take a test and then, you know, you had to forget, you go out, you have some beers and to clear up your database, the memory, so that you will be ready for the next, you know, next week memorization. But what we're talking about, this, 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 uh, it's, it's more of um, an insight. It's to be able to have the mental space and to really reflect and to think through. And it has nothing to do with an educational model. I mean, you don't need to have a PhD. You don't need to have a master's or you don't even necessarily need to have gone through college in order to be able to be reflective and to start connecting the dot and, you know, and seeing what well, is this making sense? You know, gosh, maybe I should do some fasting and, and doesn't mean that you got to do it for 40 days like Jesus did, you, what you could do is you could, your last meal could be at 6 p.m., right? The last meal, 6 p.m., and then, you know, and then you don't eat anything until the following 6 or 8 or, you know, 10 p.m. or whatever you want, at 10 a.m., whatever you want. And this gives you enough of, you know, 10 to 12 to 14 hours in between. And when you go to sleep, your stomach is, is not filled up. Your liver is not preoccupied. The gallbladder doesn't have to be overworked. Your kidneys, they don't have to continuously clear the heart. You don't put that much pressure on the heart to really pump up the you know the volumes of blood into different organs so you really allow your body to be in a deeper level of sleep and when you go into a deeper level of sleep you produce you know the REM sleep produces significant amount of growth hormone and uh, various different neurotransmitters and so forth and it helps us with rejuvenation with repair so the next day when we wake up we feel like wow I really feel rested and then we're ready and when we're rested and when we're ready and if you're sitting in the car or if you if someone whether your loved ones or someone that you don't know if they have a shortcomings the chances of you losing your cool and attacking them would minimize now all of a sudden now you're getting into a culture that is revolving around love uh, the consciousness and the, the cultural consciousness for love rather than fear rather than an attack only a culture that is auto it's filled you know it's auto immunity it's 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 a it's a grassroot movement <laughs> it comes from the culture and it oozes into individual cells individual human beings and the medical model only stops at treating the body and we don't really treat the this you know looking at the spirit and the disconnection from the spirit the disconnection from the soul which for me based on the form of medicine that i practice in telekimedicine is really the starting point paying attention to a person's spirit spiritual practices and the ecosystem that is there the terrain the ecosystem that is there and that um that spiritual ecosystem is incredibly important i i i think i think it can be applied to any aspect but i i certainly think that f for what I'm looking at right now, which is mostly obesity, because that's what I dealt with. Sure. I, I think there's a lot of uh, that, that fog, that automation where we're just moving through life that is occurring. It certainly was my experience without the reflection. And I don't know what the cause of it is for everyone. If the reflection is painful and it's got to be done gradiently or what, but it, it's it's necessary. You're absolutely right. There's um, 
you know, uh, the research has been done and we, we have studies and internationally that, you know, people that they have various different traumas during childhood, they have a propensity to, um, to gain, you know, a, a higher percentages of body weight, right? And that points to many things, people, both, both sexes, men and women, that if they have traumas, even micro traumas, it could really have the cultivate a propensity for obesity, right? So a culture that pays attention to that, a culture that really bases the educational system beyond physical education, beyond educating us on you know the the food pyramid, the the you know the various different colors, not eating mostly out of a you know out of a package. When you look at New Jersey, you know the top thirteen organiz you know industries in New Jersey, these are the food flavoring industries. These are the, you know, these are the industries that they create the Cheetos and, and the Cheetos, they, they add so much flavor to it that it activates the parts of the brain that would get activated if people were smoking crack. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're giving little babies, little kids, we're giving them packs of, you know, Cheetos and different things that they're chemically, statistic, uh, strategically induced the parts of the brain that it creates addiction and we're wondering why they can't they have one cheeto and they unless they finish at least one bag they won't stop and then you look inside their mouth and the cheetos and the spices and the chemicals it creates such an erosion that their entire gum line it, it erodes because of this so you know, someone needs to pay attention to that because within the within the capitalistic outlook, then it's like it's a smart product, you know, trickle down economy. But then we're looking at the responsibility towards the culture, responsibility toward is this really for the highest good of society? Yeah, and 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 we get into a situation too where like a, a bad auto repair shop, we're, we're more financially secure if we add a problem as we fix a problem to keep the business going. That's right. Then now what we're creating is it's a trickle down model, right? Then now we're seeing with the graph that we started looking at from the um, New England Journal of Medicine, where from 1950s to 2000, we saw that there is a direct correlation between incidence of infectious diseases. And as we decreased the infectious diseases during childhood, we saw that there is an astronomical increase in an autoimmune diseases that people need to take medications daily in order to stay alive and you know and as you have a personal experience with your sweet daughter that even given your level of affluence and 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 you know and and support with your health insurance you notice that it's like my god that's a significant amount of resources and how are other people that they don't have access to what i have access to can survive this that is you know and and the minute that, you know, if she doesn't, if she's not cared for, then, you know, all of a sudden you're going to, God forbid, deflect that a person, a patient can 
easily go into coma, right? And death. And if they're not cared for, this could easily create end-stage organ disease where their eyes get affected, their kidneys get affected. They end up needing dialysis because they cannot produce and, and filter their blood and produce urine. So now they need to go in every other day and they need to sit there for anywhere between three to six hours for their blood to be filtered through a machine and 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 urine and and to be separated so that they'll they're they're staying alive and they need to do that for the rest of their lives it is very scary and as a parent you know and that's really at the same time you're sublimating that fear you're sublimating your journey the suffering that you've gone through even as as a human being personally releasing the weight and that's really what this conversation this podcast is about that what you're putting out there is really a way of giving back and starting a larger conversation for all of us conversation of how to be very solution oriented how to be kinder how to be more gentler and loving towards ourselves and people around us dr s thank you so much i think this is really a beautiful contribution to what i'm doing and i appreciate it it's my privilege thank you for asking and thank you for uh, this opportunity and allowing me in a from place of humility to be a part of it and i'm very proud of you yeah thank you and now for the Q&A. Brian. Hi, Brian. Would like to know. A uh, quick question, he says. How do you compensate workouts when you have a chronic bad body part? I've got a shoulder that is in the it'll have to be replaced one day category. Oof. Makes bench and most chest work painful with weights. Do you think you can effectively use weights to train the rest of the body and just have chest trained with body weight? So, like, I, I guess he's saying push-ups he can do. Yeah, I mean, and it could be, you know, he's just saying basically a chronic bad body part. Yeah. Um. I mean, yes, but let's take his example. He's got a shoulder. So. But so I'm. I, I guess yeah. in this situation, he can do something because because mm-hmm. I think the shoulder is partially engaged in a push-up. Mm-hmm. But if he's saying he can do body, I mean, this is tricky, dude. I I don't think you should hurt yourself. But yeah, I wouldn't let um a shoulder injury keep me from working out at all uh i would certainly avoid um compounding that shoulder injury and uh and i would talk to somebody about um ways to strengthen possibly muscles around it uh but that i think you would need to see like a physical therapist i listen I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about here, to be honest with you. I'm not trained in, in any of this stuff. I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian or a, a physiotherapist or anything. I don't know. If you have a problem, you should see somebody who knows about these problems. I'm telling you, if I tweaked, and I have a number of times, tweaked my my tricep, I'm not working that out for a while. But I've never been at risk of having to have it replaced. So that becomes a different story. Um, but if I, if my, if I had to have sh- uh, shoulder surgery, I'm still going to do legs. I'm still going to do stuff with my core, uh, I probably wind up doing a bit more cardio. Honestly, I, I, I feel better when I exercise, so I wouldn't let something like that keep me out of the gym. Um, it would be super tough with a, a leg injury because 
because um, then you risk not being able to even get like walking done. I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't let a shoulder keep me from, from working out, but, but again, don't, uh, don't damage yourself. Yeah. Definitely check with somebody. Yeah. I think legally we have to say like, don't like, please, you know, don't hurt yourself. Yeah. That's all. And I, and I think that's true too. Like I, if you know, if you've got an injury, especially something that's going to require surgery, don't do anything that's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but do what you can otherwise. Is that bad? Did I just get sued? No, you said do what you can otherwise. I think it's pretty clear. You said don't hurt yourself. That's okay, like good. underline bold red. Yeah, that's underline bold, underline red. bold red. You can't see it, but she's got a marker. That's right. Thank you for the question. If you have a question you would like me to answer on this show, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>